for listening to our podcast, recorded live at Gateway Church Ashford. You can find out more about us on our website, gatewaychurchashford.co.uk. So just before I start today, so we, we, I, 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 kind of, I feel like I drew the straw, straw. Is that the right way of saying it? Yeah. Um, because uh, I got the topic of lust this morning. Um, so we're doing our sermon in the Mount series, and I got given lust. Um, so it wasn't, I, I kind of, to be fair, I sort of said, oh, okay, I'll do it. I think it was like one of those things where I wasn't leading worship, I wasn't anchoring, and everybody in the room just looked at me and went, you should do it. Because um, <laughs> nobody else wanted to. But, it, you know, there's a, there's a reason we're doing this series. So just to kind of go back a little bit in time and talk to you a little bit about why we're doing this series. We're doing this series because... Um, we have an intention to everything we do. We're not just, we didn't randomly pick a, a, a passage from the Bible and say, well, let's just do, let's do the Sermon on the Mount. Um, look, we want you, as a leadership, we want to enable you to be all that you can be in Jesus. That's what our heart is. My, my heart for you as a, as a Christian is that actually, as you walk with us as a church, as you come to Gateway, as you take part in our groups, as you come on Sunday mornings, that your life with Jesus and your relationship with him is closer. That actually your walk with him gets closer because of, because of our ministry to you. And actually we enable you, our heart is that we enable you to be able to be carriers of the kingdom of Jesus into your workplaces every day. And so what better way to actually look at that than the Sermon on the Mount? Because the Sermon on the Mount is a, you know, it's Jesus' longest kind of, effectively longest monologue in the Gospels. And it appears in Luke and Matthew. And actually it's a really good a way of us understanding some of the things that Jesus was talking about. Because ultimately, look, if I was going to say one thing at the start of this morning, I'm, I'm kind of, I, I feel like if, if I'm, I'm going to give you a grace sandwich today. So if you imagine grace is the two slices of bread on the outside, and there's some filling in the middle, but I'm going to start and end with grace, because it all comes back to Jesus. Everything we do all comes back to Jesus. So I'm going to talk about lust today. You probably, most of you will know what I'm going to say, which is don't do it, Okay. But let's, let's just be honest about it, okay? But actually, I need to start somewhere first, because I think you need to hear some things first of all. Look, everything we do is about Jesus. As a church and as individuals, everything we are about should be about Jesus. Because of Jesus, you can know God. Because of Jesus, you can know him. The only way to the Father, Jesus says, is through the Son. The only way to the Father is through the Son, through Jesus. And that's and, and I suppose we talk about salvation as a Christian, or, you know, if you, are you saved? But what, what, what does that mean? What does, what does it mean to be saved? What, is this, what are you being saved from and into? Well, you're being saved from death into life. You're being brought from a kingdom of darkness, the Bible says, into a kingdom of, 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 of God, into the kingdom of the son he loves, is what it says in the scripture. And so I would determine salvation as, as two things. Salvation is your eternal life after death. It's your eternal life after death. That's what you're being given. Your free gift that you get given in Jesus is salvation. It's eternal life after death. But it's also this. It's also knowing the fullness of God in your life today. It's not just something that happens to you when you die. Salvation is also something that should start changing your life today. It should actually start actually making a difference in you today. So Jesus said in John 10.10, and I'm going to come back to this a couple of times, he says that I, I've come that they may have life and have it abundantly. Jesus said that he came so that we might know abundance in life. And he's not talking about non-Christians, he's talking about Christians. He's talking about people who follow him, who believe in him. And the abundance of life that Jesus is talking about isn't based on actions or merit. 
You can't earn eternal life or salvation. That would take you living a perfect, sinless life. And none of you have done that, okay? I I know some of you, and I know some of you haven't done that, okay? Um, But also, I don't know some of you, and I can guarantee you haven't done that. You haven't lived a sinless, perfect life. You're gifted salvation. It's a present that gets given to you. Not based on anything that you've done, but based around the fact that Jesus decided just to give it to you. And when you place your faith and trust in the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's his work for you. It's not your work for him. And it's a free gift of grace to you. You get the most valuable thing you could ever get, which is life, eternal life with God, for free. You get it completely for free. All you have to do is you have to say, Jesus, I believe in my heart that you rose again from the dead, and I confess with my mouth that you're Lord. And that's what, what Romans says. If you do that, you're saved. It's a free gift to you. It's a free gift. It doesn't cost you anything. No sacrifice, no hard work, no effort. It was all Jesus. It was all his sacrifice, his hard work, his effort. So you might say, and this is a question that comes up in in the New Testament as well. Well, why should we care about how I live my life then? If I'm given salvation, if salvation is something that's completely given to me as a free gift, then does it matter how I behave? Surely I could just do what I want with my body, my mind, my eyes, because I'm saved. So it it doesn't matter. If God is all about forgiving, then surely I can carry on sinning. And there's a certain line of thinking that goes along this this route. It doesn't matter what I say, what I do, how I behave, because, hey, God will forgive me. So you purposefully go out on Saturday night knowing you're going to get absolutely drunk off your face because you know that God's going to forgive you. So it doesn't matter how you live your life because, actually, God is going to forgive you. And that's a common misunderstanding of grace. It's a common misunderstanding of grace. It's cheap grace. It makes grace look cheap. I read a quote this week um, uh, on, on an article on a, a website, the Gospel Coalition. It's a good website if you're ever um, looking for some good content. Um, and, and the guy wrote, wrote this article about, about misconceptions about grace. And he said this, grace is not the permission to sin, it's the power to overcome sin. It's not the permission to sin. Grace doesn't give you the permission to sin. If you're saved and in Jesus, it doesn't give you permission to sin. It gives you power, it empowers you to overcome the sin in your life. It's a very different way of of thinking about it. Grace is the gift of salvation at Christ's expense. And it enables us to say no to sin and yes to following Jesus. So grace enables us, it's like a, a power that enables us to be able to overcome sin. Jesus hung around with prostitutes, drunks and sinners, didn't he? Yeah, They were his friends which is why the Pharisees really didn't like him, because he hung around with all the people that they would, wouldn't associate with. He made, Jesus made those people his like, close friends. You've got Mary Magdalene, she used to be a prostitute. You've got these bunch of fishermen. I mean, like, come on, they were fishermen. They weren't kind of like religious folk. They would have just been salt-of-the-earth type people, and Jesus chose to hang around with them. So if Jesus chose to hang around with drunks, sinners, and prostitutes, surely that means that we could carry on sinning, right? Because Jesus was friends with them. Does that mean that I can carry on behaving the same way? But it was always something that Jesus did with people like that. I mean, you can read John 8, 11. Um, he talks about the woman caught in adultery. And he, he, he says, I don't, I don't condemn you, but go and leave your life of sin. And actually, there's this thing, you know, when we follow Jesus, what he does is, is if you choose to follow Jesus, if you make him your, your leader, effectively, and you say, I'm going to follow Jesus with my life, I'm going to make him my Lord and my King. What happens is, is as you start to come under his, his lordship, as you say, I'm going to follow him, Um, he starts to change you and challenge you on certain things. He starts to say, you need to stop doing this and start doing that instead. You see, Jesus wasn't ever content 
to leave the people he was with where they were. He always challenged them to be more like him. He always challenged them into a closer relationship with God. As you live as a Christian, you're called to live a life that follows Jesus. Follow his ways, follow his sacrifice, his joy, his freedom, and obedience to the Father. And we as Christians, we follow Jesus. And the heart of this series really is this. We want to help you develop your walk with Jesus. You know, I want you to come out of, of, of at the end of July when we finish the series, just before the summer holidays, I want you to be, be like your, your walk with Jesus to have, have improved because actually some of the things we've been speaking about to you are starting to challenge you and starting to make you think, actually, no, I, do you know what? I, that's, that's an area of my life. I'm not walking closely with the Lord. I'm not walking with him. I'm not following him in that area of life. You know, when we start following him, he challenges us. And if you look at the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking to this large group of Jews. And what's he's, what he's doing, effectively, if you read this, the whole Sermon on the Mount, is he's taking the law of Moses. So the law of, of Moses from the, the Pentateuch, which was given in Exodus and Deuteronomy. You can read it in there. So Exodus 20 and Deuteronomy 5. Um, and and he's, he's giving the, 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 the Pentateuch, and he's, he's reinterpreting it. He's actually making it harder for them. Okay? Um, but the, the lifestyle that he is calling them to is radical. If you look at the things that he's saying, they are radical things that he's calling them to. And I would say that there are three things, this type of lifestyle that he calls his followers to in the Sermon on the Mount. It's a life of devotion, it's a life of obedience, and it's a life of sacrifice. That's what he's saying them to, to behave like. He wants them to be obedient, to be devout, and to be sacrificial in the way they live their lives. So anyway, that's, that's all of that said. I felt like I needed to say some of that first, because you need to hear the heart for this, Okay. And we're going to come back to grace at the end. But you need to hear the heart that actually you have been set free by Christ. Okay, he has set you free from sin and death. And he's called you to walk with him. All right? but, but, but actually that doesn't mean that therefore you carry on sinning. So that grace abounds more. That's what Paul says, isn't it? And Paul says by no means. We don't carry on sinning so that grace abounds more. We, we, we actually move away from our life of sin. So anyway, what does Jesus say about lust? Well, Matthew uh, 5, 27 to 30. Um, so it says this, you have heard it said that you shall not commit adultery. So you shall not commit adultery was the seventh commandment, okay? You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It is better for you to lose one of the members of your body than for your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, Cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go to hell. Wow, that's radical. That's really radical. Um, I really, you, I'm, I'm hoping that in the course of the next five minutes or so, I can steer you away from lots of people turning up to church next week, the week after, with one eye and one hand. Okay? Because, because that, that isn't quite what he's saying here, but it's radical. See, what he's doing is he's taking the seventh commandment, you shall not commit adultery, and he's actually making it even harder because what he's doing is he's getting right to the heart of the commandment. The Jews listening, the most, most of the Jews listening would have been the Pharisees, okay? Um, and they knew their commandments. They knew their commandments. Over hundreds of years, through different generations, the Jewish people had learned to obey the Old Testament commands. So if you read the Old Testament, what you'll find is, is that by the end of the Old Testament story, so you have the Old Testament story, it runs all the way up to, uh, you have Ezra and Nehemiah who come back to Jerusalem. But if you read the Old Testament story, what happens is, is that through a succession of kings, the Israelite people keep turning away from God. They keep disobeying him. They don't, 
actually, it's like a downward spiral the whole way through the Old Testament. And they keep disobeying him and disobeying him and disobeying him until God says through the prophets, through Jeremiah, Isaiah, Ezekiel, he says, look, if you don't stop doing what you're doing, if you don't actually follow my commandments, I'm going to send you off into slavery. I'm going to exile you out of the promised land and I'm going to send you off. And so that's what happens in history. The, the uh, Jews get dispersed, the diaspora, they get dispersed. They, some end up in Babylon. They get taken out of Jerusalem and taken captive. You know, the, the, by the rivers of Babylon. You know the Boney M song? The rivers of Babylon. Yeah, okay, so yeah. So, they, you know, they get taken off into exile. And it's when they're in exile, and then the, the intervening period, so they come back to Jerusalem, they rebuild the temple. So it's called Second Temple Judaism. So they come back to Jerusalem. Ezra, Nehemiah builds the walls, Ezra builds the temple. They rebuild this temple. It's in that period that they start to learn how to follow God. And you get into all of the things that, so we see Orthodox Jews today with their, their curls and their hair and their filigrees and their bits and tassels and so on and so forth because they're trying to follow the word of God as closely as possible. So you have to imagine that these people listening to Jesus on that day were people who had learned to follow the commands religiously. They'd learned to follow them as closely as they could. The problem was that they'd learned to follow them so closely with such precision, they'd forgotten the heart of them. They'd forgotten the heart of the, the commandments. They just saw the command, don't commit adultery. Right, fine, I won't, I won't, I won't go and sleep with another man's wife. I, I won't go and sleep with a, 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 another, an, another, another man. Yeah, they, they'd, they'd like taken the commandments and just gone, well, that's what it is, so I won't do that. But actually the heart behind it was much greater than that. And Jesus was trying to get back to the essence of what God was trying to communicate to Moses. So, because there's this whole thing with the Pharisees, and Jesus keeps challenging them through it. You know, if you read Matthew, the whole of Matthew, Jesus challenges them again and again and again, the, the Pharisees, that actually, outside, they look squeaky clean. They're following all these commands. But internally, they're like rotten. They're stinky. They're horrible. You know when you, 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 know when you uh, open your food waste bin the day before it all gets collected, and it stinks, doesn't it? Yeah, or like with us, we've got like loads of nappies in the bin and in the hot weather at the moment, you open the bin. The outside of our bin's really clean, but the inside of our bin, oh my goodness me, it smells like Jude's poo, okay? It's, dis <laughs> it's disgusting. It's disgusting. And Jesus basically says to the Pharisees, look, you're like that. Outside you look clean, but inside you're, you're, you're filthy. You're rotten through. Time and time again, through the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus challenges the hypocritical attitudes of religious groups like the Pharisees. Just... Let me just read you this from Matthew 23 so I can just prove to you that he does this elsewhere as well. He says this to the Pharisees, woe to you. I mean, this is, it makes me laugh. This is because he just, he kind of, he nails them. He says, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You, you clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and the dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You're like whitewashed tombs which look beautiful on the outside, but on the inside are full of bones of the dead and everything unclean. In the same way on the outside, you appear to be people as righteous, but on the inside you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. I mean, it's pretty harsh, isn't it? Oh, that's only a small section. It goes, it goes on, on further than that. So Jesus is challenging this kind of, this whole way of religious way of living, that, that if you, as long as you look clean on the outside... It's okay. So if you turn up to church on Sunday, as long as you look all right, as long as you look like you've got everything together, you look like a good Christian, you've got your hands up in worship, you're giving money into the pot, that's okay. You know, he's challenging that attitude. I hate the term religion. I hate it because I don't think it's what Christianity is. Christianity is about faith in Jesus. 
We don't do things religiously to earn favour with God. We have faith in Jesus. And our actions should be the product of internal faith. And it's not a keeping up appearances, so to speak. But I think the thing is, you know, the whole Pharisee thing, we can all get caught in this trap. You know, the longer you're a Christian, the easier it is almost to do keeping up appearances, to maybe behave in a certain way around people at church or during the week, you know, with Christian friends. And then actually on the flip side of it, be living a very different lifestyle internally and with other people. We play Christian. On the outside, our halo is really shiny, but internally we're harbouring some pretty serious, smelly dirt. And Jesus' Sermon on the Mount is a challenge to us. It's a challenge to to us, his followers, to live a different way. And you see, he wants us to live that life of devotion, of, of obedience, of sacrifice. Why? Why does he want us to do that? Well, he wants us to live that kind of lifestyle because he knows that in that kind of lifestyle we'll be fulfilled. That actually, we'll, as we become more like him, we'll actually know what it really means to live life abundantly. See, he said, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. And when he, he, he said that, he wasn't giving people license to do what they wanted. See, life in abundance comes from following Jesus internally and externally. And that's like the total opposite of our culture. It's the total opposite of our culture. I mean, how many of you feel uneasy when I say something like obedience, devotion, sacrifice? Because it's not what our culture teaches you is going to make you happy. If I said to you, if you came to me after church today and said, I really want to know how to be happy in life, and I said, okay, we'll be obedient, be devoted, and be sacrificial, you know, you'd go away going, that's bad advice. Because it's hard work. Those things are hard work. They're not easy. It's not easy to be sacrificial, to be devoted. Um, I, look, I realise looking around the room, we've got more than one generation. Um, and I, I, think, I do think that it's true to say that actually generationally there's been a shift. So those in an older generation, if something breaks, your initial reaction isn't to buy something new. Your initial reaction is to maybe call somebody in and get it fixed, right? Would I be right in that? So like if, if like the washing machine breaks, we were chatting this morning, weren't we, about a back door. If, you know, if your back door's broken and it won't close properly, you, know, you don't go and go, oh, I just need a new one, go and buy a new one. You'll, you'll go and you'll pay somebody to come in and get it fixed. But I think as time goes on, you know, particularly with younger generations coming through into adulthood, actually that's changed now. What's the point in getting your old TV fixed when you can buy a new one? What's the point in getting your old washing machine fixed when you can buy a new one? I mean, they, they don't do a good job making them like they used to anyway. I mean, nothing's the way it used to be made, is it? Everything's made cheaply on a production line somewhere. So what's the point? I'll just get a new one. I won't get it fixed. I'll, I'll get something new. Um... It's broken, so get a new one. And that's our culture. It's broken, so get a new one. And it's not just for stuff, it goes for everything. So if you don't like your job, it's not about actually just finding out what to love about it and getting on with it. It's, I'll go and get a new job. I'll just go and get a new one. I I don't like it, I'll go and get something new. Don't like my clothes. Well, you know, like clothes, it's this crazy thing, isn't it? You know, I think we're the worst in the world for fashion, the UK. Like, we spend more money on it, like, per capita than, than anybody else in the world. And, and they say they only really design clothes now to be worn two or three times before they're thrown away because we have such a kind of culture of getting rid of stuff and getting new stuff. So I don't like my clothes, well, I'll just get some new clothes. Oh, it's, it's got a small hole in it, I won't fix it, I'll just buy, I'll buy a new one. The problem is with that stuff is it filters into everything in our lives. I don't like my relationship, so I'll get a new one. And um, new stuff is great, isn't it? I love new stuff for five minutes or so. When I get new clothes, I'm always so excited. I have to put them on as soon as I get home. Then, you know, when you were younger, did you ever do, who did a fashion show for their parents when they bought something new? Did anybody do that? 
I still do it for Claire now. Um, <laughs> and I, I, I used to do this thing where if I got a new pair of trainers, I'd put them by my bed so that the first thing I saw when I woke up in the morning would be my trainers. <laughs> I still do it now. <laughs> I'm 36 and I've not changed. Um, but it never lasts very long. You see, I, I just want more stuff all the time. I want new stuff. More, more, more is the attitude. It's a commodity culture. I've spoken about this before, but you have to be aware that actually when we're teaching you about the gospel, we're teaching you about, about, about the Bible, that it applies, to, we have to apply it to our culture. We have to see how it, what, where's, the, where's the rub? Where's the, where's the banging up against? Yeah? It's, it's, it's this stuff. It's commodity culture. The more, the new. And you know what? Sex is a commodity in our culture. It's a commodity in our culture. You want it, you can have it. Just swipe right on your phone. Yeah? Just, just, just say yes to that person who's, who's texting you. you. The want for more. Our culture says that you'll be fulfilled through satisfying your sexual desires. So Jesus said, I've come that you might have life and life abundantly. And our culture says life abundance is found in sexual gratification. Okay, that's what it says. So actually, you can be gratified, you can have an enjoyable, happy life as long as you're having sex or sexual relationships. Sexual temptation is absolutely everywhere. Social media, TV, the internet, books, you name it. One search in your browser on your phone, obviously the, the internet reception in here is rubbish, and don't do this, but one search in your, in your browser and you're off into the world of sex, lust, and sexual gratification. You can just do it, just like that. Just type in one word and you're off, you're off on a little journey. You want it, you don't even have to look hard for it anymore. You don't have to look hard for it. It's everywhere. And you live in a society which celebrates sexual freedom and liberation. Do what you want with your body. With whoever you want. It doesn't matter who it is. Just do what you want. As long as it makes you happy, as long as you feel fulfilled, then do it. And sex feels good. So you should do sex because it feels great. In fact, you don't even need to have sex with someone else. You could just look at this or that and make yourself happy. That's all okay. That's all right. Just do that. As long as you're happy, as long as your sexual gratification, your sexual needs are being met, that's okay. That's all right. That's all right, according to our culture. And also, it's okay if you spend loads of time with that guy who isn't your husband or that woman who isn't your wife. That's okay. Because, hey, they get you in a way that your wife or your spouse doesn't. They listen to you when your husband doesn't listen to you. So it's okay if you spend time with them. They make you happier than the troubles that you have at home. So it's okay. It's okay to flirt with them. It's all right. It's just a bit of harmless flirting. It doesn't matter because your wife or your husband doesn't know. So it doesn't, what, what does it matter? It's okay to text them. It's all right, because you could just delete the text conversation anyway. Nobody's ever going to find out. It's all right to confide in somebody else who's not your spouse. As long as no one knows you can be happy, surely that's okay. Surely that's okay. I tell you, plainly and honestly, none of that is the type of life that Jesus was talking about when he said, you can live life and live it abundantly. That's not what he was getting at at all. There are three things that will stop you following Jesus. The world, the flesh, and the devil. Those three things will stop you following Jesus. You see that, that verse from John 10? Jesus actually says this, the thief comes to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. Live, living life of secret pornography addiction will rob you. It will rob you of joy. And it will rob you of an understanding of loving relationships. Pornography turns women and men into sexual objects for your own gratification. It leaves you thirsty for more, but never satisfying. Now, if you become addicted to pornography, it's just gonna, you're going to be more and more addicted to it. 
And, and the things that you start looking for are going to become more and more perverse as you carry on looking for stuff. Because your, sexual, you, you, your, your limits of what you can see and view will change. You'll become immune to certain things. Secondly, making sex the test of love and feeling a connection in that new relationship you've started will destroy and devalue your understanding of sex in marriage. You know, if you're having sex and you're not married to that person, you know, actually, it, it, just so you feel connected to them, that will destroy sex in a relationship that you have in future. Okay? Watching and viewing sexually explicit material will make you numb to sex and kill sexual desire. As I said, and it will lead you down a darker road. You know, the, the longer you do something, the, the, the darker it will get. So what's the solution? Well, I've, 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 I've said what Jesus said already. If your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one eye than one of your members, than for the whole of your body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to lose one of your members than for your whole body to go into hell. Did you know the early church father, Origen, actually self-castrated himself um, because he took this literally? He didn't want to be tempted, so he cut it all off. Um, yeah, a few people winced. Um, I was going to bring some scissors in as a joke, but I decided not to. Um, look, was Jesus being literal? No, he wasn't being literal. He wasn't being literal. Please don't go home and gouge an eye out. Please don't do that. Um, you'll still have one good eye for looking at porn, and you'll still have a dirty mind, okay? So, let's be honest. This isn't about physically harming yourself, but it's about being drastic and dramatic with sin. It's about being dramatic and drastic with sin. You have to get rid of it. It's what Jesus is saying. Get, get it out of your life. Cut it out. D.A. Carson writes this on this subject. He says about sin. We must not pamper it, flirt with it, enjoy nibbling a little bit of it around the edges. We are to hate it, crush it, and dig it out. You need to hate sin. You need to hate it. Jesus hates Sin is what drove Jesus to the cross. So if you follow Jesus, you should hate sin. You should hate sin. If this tells us anything, you see, Jesus' command, is that sin is so serious, and the path of sin leads to Gehenna, that is hell. Okay? Look, I'm not saying smoking in and of itself is a sin. I don't think, I don't think that the act of smoking is a sin, but I think habitual sin doing something habitually that's not focusing or following Jesus is, is sin. And so I, I used to smoke, and uh, I used to smoke 20 a day. I did steps to freedom in Christ, and as I did it, God spoke to me about it and said, you need to, you need to stop doing that. You just need to cut it out of your life. Because I was, I was, what I was doing was, is I was going to cigarettes rather than going to God. When I felt stressed or anxious or tired, the thing I did was I went to my little God on a stick, on a burning stick, and I smoked that because it made me feel better rather than going to the King of Kings. I did that instead. So Jesus spoke to me about it and said, you need to clap out of your life. And so I did. And what I did was, is I, I used to walk down, so I, I went to college in London, I used to walk down from London Bridge to my college every day. And I realised what I needed to do, what I needed to do was completely change my lifestyle. So I stopped walking the route that I used to walk, and I made sure I didn't walk by any shops on my way down. Because I knew that if I walked by a convenience shop, while I was trying to quit, I'll just go in and buy some cigarettes. I literally, I physically changed my lifestyle in order to stop smoking. I literally cut out of my life. Um, if you're caught in sexual sin, temptation or adultery, you need to make drastic steps to cut it out of your life. You need to change things about your lifestyle. Do whatever it takes to get, get out of your life. If it's pornography, here, here, let me give you some suggestions. Be accountable and tell somebody. 
It's a horrible thing to have to say, but you need to do it. If you're, if you're watching pornography at home, on your own, maybe your wife doesn't know about it. Maybe, you know, it's, and this isn't just a male thing as well, it's a, a, a female thing as well. Be accountable, tell somebody. You know, when you start to tell people about sin, it breaks the power of sin. You see, Satan wants to shame you. Satan wants to keep you in shame and guilt and fear and condemnation. Yeah, but when you start telling people about it, when you confess your sins to one another, okay, it's actually when the power of sin gets broken. Secondly, what about getting some accountability software? We've got a great world of communication and technology. Yes, one in seven web searches is pornography, um, but we have an amazing... Uh, an amazing kind of uh, technological advancement. And do you know what's great about that, actually, is there's some really good software for Christians. So there's a, a software called Covenant Eyes, which you can look at, which means somebody can ask uh, you to be accountable. I've done it for somebody before. I've been their accountability partner, and they've, they've uh, given me their... So every time when they, when they did some, looked at something half questionable, I got, I, I got told about it. And I would phone them up and say, what was this about? Yeah. Because they asked me to do that for them. So you can make yourself accountable to somebody in that way. Find out if your internet service provider has a safety blocker. So I'm with Virgin, I can block content. You know, and, and rather than you setting the password, get somebody else to set the password. So you don't know what it is, so you can't change it. You know? So it's filtered for you on purpose. Go to bed early. Go to bed early. Do you know what? I feel like late at night, my attitude completely changes life. I get grumpy and cynical and tired. I'm more likely to sin at that time of night. Go to bed earlier. Leave your phone and computer downstairs. Don't take it somewhere with you when you're on your own. Or be even more drastic. You know, if this is something you're really struggling with today and nobody knows about it, don't have a computer or a smartphone. Get one of those rubbish burner phones that you can get from the chemist, yeah? Look like you're stuck in the year 2000. Do whatever it takes, Jesus is saying, to cut sin out of your life. Now, I'm not saying physically gouge an eye out. But if, you, if, if, uh, if it's the, between looking at porn on your phone or having a rubbish phone, which is it going to be? Yeah, because actually Jesus calls you to obedience. Secondly, um, if it's temptation towards adultery, perhaps someone you're getting too friendly with, maybe it's uh, just somebody at work or somebody outside of your, your, you know, outside of home, tell somebody, such as one of us, Pete or I, one of the, the leaders here, stop the friendship with them. If they're a colleague... Think about how you can keep it professional. Never go into a room with them on your own. Keep doors open at work. You know, maybe there's that person you go, I'm really close to that person, but I need to be really careful. Keep doors open. Don't car share or go to lunch with them on your own. Be careful. Be sensible. Our culture says that if you fall out of love with somebody, perhaps you should divorce them and find somebody new. How about this one instead, if this is you? You fell in love with your husband or wife once. Why not fall in love with them again? Why not make yourself fall back in love with them again? Make them the object of your affection, because that's what they're there for. They're there to be the object of your affection and desire. Make them that again in your life. You know, take them out for a meal, buy them flowers. You know, go out and do something with them that they'll enjoy and, and, and get to know them, reconnect with them again. You see, you wooed, you wooed them once. Why not do it again? I'm going to, just before I finish, I'm going to digress. I know I've gone on a little bit, actually, today. Um, I love Bethel worship and Hillsong music. I really, really do. I've met with God and encountered him through the worship of those churches. But there's a real danger with our culture of worship that what we do is we think worship is just about an experience with God or it's about an exchange with God. So we come to worship in the morning and we go, I'm looking to get something out of this. Okay? 
But actually, we miss a fundamental point about worshipping that. You see, worship, true worship is obedience. True worship is obedience. It's living a life of obedience. It's not an experience. So when Samuel rebukes Saul, he says, has the Lord great delight in burnt offerings and sacrifice, as in obedience? Surely to obey is better than to sacrifice. So Jesus calls us to be obedient to him. He says, if anyone wants to become my followers, let them deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. He calls you to live a radical lifestyle, a lifestyle of devotion, of obedience, of sacrifice. And there's some great news in this as I finish. We have the Holy Spirit to help us. We have the Holy Spirit to help us. His presence in us counsels us, guides us, strengthens us, so we can follow Jesus more closely and say no to temptation. But you might be sitting there this morning, racked with condemnation, fear and guilt. Maybe today I've said some of this stuff and you think, yeah, that is me. I know I'm looking at stuff I shouldn't look at. or I'm engaging in that relationship. I know I shouldn't. You know, and that's serious. And you need to deal with it before God. But you know what? We will all make mistakes with this. If anyone has ever looked at another woman lustfully, you know, I read that and I hang my head with shame. Because, because we, we all fall short of the glory of God. But do you know what? We are being transformed by one degree, through one degree of glory into another by the Holy Spirit. You are being transformed, and it's a process in your life. If you're following, you're being made more like him. You're being sanctified. So what do you do if you fall? Well, you go to the one who has overcome. That's what you do. You go to the one who's overcome, the one who didn't fail or fall. Jesus, let me just read this to you quickly. I was just reminded of it as we were praying this morning. It says this, We have this hope, a sure and steadfast anchor to the soul, a hope that enters in the inner shrine behind the curtain where Jesus, a forerunner on our behalf, has entered, having become a high priest forever. See, when you sin, when you fail, you need to go to Jesus. He is the high priest who never failed. He's the high priest who never sinned. He's the high priest who knows no guilt and shame because he never sinned, but he will take your guilt and shame. Don't run from God if you're in sin. Run to the cross. Don't run from God. Run to him. He wants you to come to him with arms open wide. Come to the altar and say, God, I just need your grace. I need your forgiveness. I need your mercy. I need need to know you, Jesus, again today. I need to know that you've overcome on my behalf. And as you do that, God will change you. As you do that, God will start to change your lifestyle. And I I think actually, you know, second to that as well, it's it's not just about going, because we're going to do this in a minute. We're going to worship. Actually, do you want to come up now, Andy? Um, we're going to worship, we're going to, I'm going to invite you just to come and just say, God, I'm just going to bring, it might not be about sex at all. God might be speaking to you about something else this morning. It might just be about obeying Jesus and doing what he says. It might be about lying or stealing or something else. And you know that actually that lifestyle isn't good, okay? It isn't what Jesus has asked you, called you to. Um, look, I'm going to encourage you to do that, but then I'm going to say to you, you need to change how you live this week. Because it's not just about now, it's about tomorrow, Obey is better, to, obey, to obey is better than to sacrifice. We worship God. We come to Jesus. We say, Jesus, I need you. I need your forgiveness. But actually also, then I go away and I change. You know, Jesus said, go and leave your life of sin. Yeah? Okay? So I'm going to invite us. Can we stand together now? Let me just pray for you. And then we're just going to worship God. Heavenly Father, I just, I thank you that it is all about grace. It's all about you, Jesus. It's all about the fact that you've done it for us, Lord, that, um, that we're free from sin and shame because of what you've done for us, Jesus, on the cross. Um, 
But Lord, we're also aware that we make mistakes, we fall, and sometimes the devil gets us caught in a trap. And so, Lord, I pray this morning for my friends here. If anybody here is caught in sexual sin, whether that's uh, just pornography and lust, whether that's looking at stuff they shouldn't look at, or whether they've gone a stage further and they're engaging in a relationship with somebody, Jesus, I pray today, come and speak to them. Lord, I thank you that you're their high priest, that you love them, that you've called them out of darkness and into light, that you've called them from shame into forgiveness. And Jesus, I pray this morning that they might come to you and know that forgiveness, that love, and that freedom today. Amen.